Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night Soft Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. We've got a lot to get to. We've got spring football overreactions. We're going to recap the weekend that was. We've got an interview with our friend Josh Floyd, who is the head coach of Hewitt Trustville. He coached Paul Bear Bryant. I make sure I say his full name the first time because that's you know AP style, whatever. Uh, great grandson. Coach's great grandson. Should have thrown in high that school. in first for you to say. Probably should have. Probably should have. Um, also coached for or also played under Gus Malzahn about 20 years ago. So had some some interesting takes with uh, with Josh. But before we get to all that, I've got a, a question. I today sent a burger back for the first time in my life. And I wonder, I think our listeners can, can relate to, to this, this line of when you're at a restaurant and you get food that you cut into it and you, maybe you take a bite into it and you realize, is this worth it? Is it worth it to potentially roll the dice and get food poisoning or is it worth just saying, I need to send this back? I hit my line today. I hit the point where I was like, you know what? I, I can't do it. It's not worth it at this point. Have you approached that line and, or what does that line look like for you? You wanted to open this podcast. Yes. Asking me who worked in the service industry for 10 years about sending food back. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I got a strong stomach. I don't. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't remember the last time I ever sent food back unless it wasn't mine. And usually even then I'll just eat it. So if something, so today the example that made me. What kind of trash establishment were you at, Connor? I was at a good establishment, a place that I go to once a week that I've been having burgers there for the last last couple of years that Crystals. I love. Not quite. Um, but I bite into it and, you know, it just has that like chewy, like with ground beef, you don't want that. If it's a steak, it's a different story. Was it too rare or was it just like. Too rare. Uh, too okay, rare. okay. So it was like too almost rare. purpley in the middle. Yeah, and you're yeah, like, no. okay, you know what? I hate to be that person. I even said that to the waitress. I'm like, I do not mean to be <laughs> that guy. I really don't. I hate being I that guy. I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but I'm going to tell you but, how to do your job. But if I eat this, I could potentially get food poisoning. Yeah. And anybody that has experienced food poisoning, the second you think about oh. the possibility of whether or not something is worth the risk, you immediately go to what that moment was like when you got food poisoning and how awful it was. See, I have a bad way of thinking about most stuff because food poisoning and the flu for me seem like a good idea since I put on weight. So it's like one of those things that's like, you know, I wouldn't mind. Like back when I used to work in the service and I'd be like, I use the food, I use the, the food poisoning thing all the time. I'm like, I think I got food poisoning again. I'm like, Chris, where are you eating? And, you know, like, it used to seem like a good idea. Like, I'll lose 10 pounds and miss a week of work. That sounds great. No. No, you don't want food poisoning. That's, that's 36 hours of trauma. I got The only time in my life I ever got food poisoning was the day before we had engagement photos. And I was staying with my in-laws. Yeah, fun Ooh. time. I think I've told you that story. You Let's not. just say a certain establishment that rhymes with poodles and fumpany um, doesn't have the best shrimp. What? Yeah. What is poodles and fumpany? Noodles and Company. I don't know what that is. We don't have that up here. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is it really called Noodles and Company? No, I'm no, so. And companies everywhere. I, I, and I told you this before. Like, I, I legit used to always fake uh, food poisoning. Like I, I, like, I don't feel good. That'll get me out of doing dishes sometimes and other things. Hopefully, Ali's not listening. But I've, I've, like, I've gotten a lot of karma ever since we started this job because I've gotten food poisoning like three times in the past year because I go down to Publix all the time to get shrimp. That's your problem. That, it's always shrimp. It's always shrimp. shrimp. was what gave me food poisoning. I don't get that. Shrimp burger? Shrimp burger. What should we talk about burger. next now that we're done talking about yeah. throwing up? Okay, so maybe maybe that was a little bit of an overreaction we on need my sponsors part. again. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was a little bit of an overreaction on my part, but we do have spring football overreactions because there were a ton of games this weekend and there were a ton of takes a-flying, many of which were from me and you. Yeah, almost too many <laughs> games and almost too many takes. <laughs> yeah, there were eight spring games in the SEC over the weekend, six on Saturday, uh, A&M moved theirs up to Friday, so they ended up being Kentucky and A&M on Friday. But we have an overreaction for each SEC spring game last weekend. Let's start with Auburn. This first one that I know we have differing opinions on. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that you opened with this. My overreaction from watching the Auburn spring game is Bo Nix will be Auburn's starting quarterback for the opener. I know you think that. I am not quite there yet, despite being super impressed with what I saw from him yep. on Saturday. Looked really, really good, as did Joey Gatewood, as did Malik Willis. That Auburn quarterback room looks much better than I thought it was coming into this spring, and I think that if you're an Auburn fan, you feel much better about your quarterback situation, and if you're Gus Malzahn, you don't feel like you have to go get a grad transfer. Having said that... Is he going to do that? Well, I mean, he was in the grad transfer market looking at Austin Kendall, who ended up at, at West Virginia, yeah. of course, and there was talk that he was throughout that last-minute offer to Jalen Hurts as well, and... I mean, a transfer I, if, I get. Grad transfer, that ain't his style, brother. Yeah, transfer is a totally different story with Gus. It'd be weird to actually watch him have a, a homegrown quarterback yeah. starting. Um, but that appears to be the case because I think he's got three viable options. I'm not trying to knock Bo Nix, the guy that you predicted was going to be the starter, but listening to the way that Gus kind of talked about Nix as well was that he pointed out before he could even say anything else about him, he said, yeah, this is a guy who's supposed to be in high school. You know, just... Good. Getting to, to, yeah, the whole Jake Bentley thing. Just getting him to run and operate the system is, is st we're still just kind of getting to that point where, you know, Gus was helping him out in the spring game with, you know, making reads at the line of scrimmage and doing stuff like that with checks. He was and I think broadcasting the plays to the the on on field woman. Probably called a reporter. I don't know why I said it like that. Like it's the 1970s. That woman. was terrible. I'm sorry, guys. Really hope Allie's not listening now. Um, no, but like the lady was on field interviewing during the game. I, I only forgot her name. That's why I said it. Because like like Laura Rutledge did the same thing with Saban. But she was like, so Gus, like what, what do we got here? He's like, we got. So if the X takes him outside on the boundary. And he like reads the entire play before Nick snaps the ball. And you can see Nick's in the background. He's like looking both ways. And he's like, so what he's going to take here is man. And I was like, oh, okay. That seems like you're. Really helping him out here. Otherwise, it's a very, very astute play call, yes. So there's that, and I think it's I think it was Lauren Sisler, by the way, who was doing the color commentary. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lauren, for, for the game. Um, but I think that that all kind of factors into this, and why I don't think he's going to be the guy on opening day. That's yeah. not to say freshman quarterbacks can't shine. We've obviously moved way, way past that. But this belief that he's going to be ready game one when there are other options, and that was the the encouraging thing for, that we saw from the spring game was that. Joey Gatewood looked night and day compared to what we saw from him last year. He looked so much more comfortable. And yeah, his two touchdown passes were Seth Williams, and Seth Williams made some big-time plays in double coverage. But I just love the way that Joey Gatewood carried himself as a passer. And if you look at what Gus said after the game, he's like, you know, he, he did look, he is so much better than where he was last year. And the thing that he likes about Gatewood is that he's a much different player when it comes to live. Yeah. And when he's a guy that can take a hit, and we saw one of the like when he had when he had one of those RPOs on like one of the first plays that he had, where he just completely devastated a guy at the line of scrimmage, and it looked like he was going to get to the second level yeah. with a head of steam. 
But you know, in a game where you're two-hand touch or one-hand touch, whatever it is, you're not going to get to see that. So yeah. that was kind of my, my thought, just looking at this situation that we you know we still think is going to be interesting and still could have some wrinkles with it later I on. In I the just fall. can't wait till Bo Nix beats out Joey Gatewood because so, it feels like at this point it's just a, a battle between you and me. If I have to hear no. Gatewood has improved, he's night and day from last year. One more time out of you. What did you What did you think of Gatewood though? No, I thought he looked good. I really did. I tell you what, and, and we talked about this off air. Um, Malik Willis, that pass he threw. I, like, when I saw it, and maybe it's just the number, maybe I got caught up in the moment, the way that ball exited his hand didn't have Nick the same Marshall. velocity. It looked just like Nick Marshall. And, by the way, not enough was made about the catch. Unbelievable. Listen, Over unbelievable the shoulder, like, catch. falling down in the hit end zone. From, like, the blind side. Now, I do want to say, I was really impressed with Auburn. I even put this on Twitter on, um, God, I've never talked this nice about Auburn for this long of a time. Um, but I will say that I don't know if it's going to be this year. But Bo Nix is going to be a problem. He's going to be really good in that offense. I agree. Um, what I will say, the the ultimate overreaction, the ultimate overreaction came from a guy from my rival high school, Matthew Hill. Yep. And he went to Brookwood. <laughs> Typical Bronco, brother. Typical Bronco. You know what I'm talking about. Real relatable. Real yeah, relatable. real relatable. Um, he's <laughs> thank you. He said, quote, we're going to be the best receiving core in the nation. <laughs> We're going to be the best receiving course in the nation. Forget Clemson and forget Alabama. We're going to make some plays. Now, I'll tell you what. The last sentence there, that is something you could have said. We're going to make some plays. I think they will. And you should have left it at that because I'm not trying to be a homer for Bama at all, but that receiving core is deep and talented. And when you have a guy like Jalen Waddell who's not even – I, like technically a starter, that's ridiculous. And Henry Ruggs, he's every bit as fast as that sub four three. I think he he looks really good. But what I will say also is this: Clemson with Justin Ross. I mean, that's that's an, that's like a next level type receiver. He's he's legit, and he's only going to be a true sophomore. So I get to be. I'm I'm glad you're excited down in Auburn, like Matthew Hill. But let's pump the brakes on that. That's that's the oh, overreaction of the whole weekend. I agree. The overreaction I thought out of Gainesville. And this isn't to slight this player necessarily. And that's not the point of these, but I think it's just kind of calm people down. You know, we've had a few days now since these spring games to just kind of bring people back to earth with some of these takes that were flying around on Saturday. Take away your confidence, ruin a little bit of your week. That's all. The overreaction from Gainesville was that Trayvon Grimes is going to be the next stud receiver in the SEC. Now, Grimes was Unreal on Saturday. He set a spring game record, which I don't know they keep spring game records, but apparently they do. <laughs> he had 195 receiving yards. He was really good. He had uh, a long touchdown catch where he just basically devastated Sean Davis. Um, I am holding off on that, not because he's not talented. I think he was like number 41 overall in that 2017 class, starts his career yeah. off at Ohio State. And then obviously the weird stuff that came out with yeah. you know the whole Zach Smith thing. That, that was bizarre. Um, but then we, you know, we we saw a little bit of him last year. We saw some flashes. The Florida State game was really, man. really good. He's got the talent, but being a receiver in this league and doing it week to week is is very different. And that yeah. Florida receiver group is is crazy talented. It's one of the best in the SEC. And that's let me just I don't I again don't want to sound like a hater, but Florida Twitter, <laughs> that's who needs to calm down after this weekend. I honestly thought you're. Your takeaway was going to be the joke that I made about Ann Mullen because there's no D involved. Because it was, what, 45-28 at the half? It was a game that was very slanted toward the offense. Our guy, Chris Doring, that was awesome. had a nice touchdown catch. For that how was long? That was pretty sweet. I mean, it was a 69-yard he, touchdown pass. 
Wait, was it really? Yes. <laughs> no one. I texted him at like 10 o'clock on Saturday. I felt bad. And I was like, my man, still got it. Never lost it. 69 yards. And he was like, thanks, bro. Um, but no, that was like, that That part was cool. That's a more entertaining game. And I think in a Mullen style offense and like the way he coaches, you're you're going to, we all know their defense is going to be fine. I know they probably lost some, they lost some talent up front and everything like that. But you know, their defense is going to be fine. I think this is more entertaining for the fans, and it's, it's okay. But the whole thing about a lot of Florida fans came out in full force about this. Is, and when I posted the thing about Matthew Hill's quote, and they were like, Florida's got the best receivers in the, in the SEC. It's not even close. And I was like, it's first off, it's definitely close. It's it's Bama. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's I, and I hate to say that just because, like, I, I've never seen this deep of a receiving core at Bama. The Florida's receiving core is really, really good. But I don't know if we're going to see them take the next step. I, Franks looked good. Yes, Felipe, Felipe did look good. And, you know, I don't want to pour cold water on the fire takes from Florida fans because, you know what, I don't blame him for getting excited yeah. about the offense. And that's why Mullen does this. He did it last year, yep. too, where he manufactured points. There was points last year in that game, you remember, when F- Felipe should have been down on some of those long yeah. runs. And he just was like, no, we're going to play on. And Todd Grantham isn't going to blitz and throw all these exotic right. packages at, at offenses. Grantham. So. We, we, we get that. Third and Grantham is not a thing in the spring game. And Florida's secondary was really banged yeah. up, too. They were playing without Jawan Taylor, and this is still a group that's trying to move past losing a guy like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. And I have questions about the secondary more so than the receiving core. But to me, I, I get what Grimes is. You know, all, all the people that are excited about Grimes, they should be. He's still a relatively new face with that program. But there are just a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. And I don't necessarily see this being... Um, a situation where any one receiver is going to have like some 80 catch, 1300 yard season. It would just be no, tough to do that with all those weapons. Agreed. And I tell you what, I more like Tyree Cleveland seems like he's been there forever because he's the one that caught that pass against Tennessee two That's years right. ago. But I mean, Van Jefferson, I love Van Jefferson, and Grimes looks Surprised really good. He came too. back. I, I was too, but I, I think it was probably the right move. But I think like it's going to be difficult in terms of like you said, like there's a lot of mouths to feed in there, but. Lamichael P. Ryan this offense too, and 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 we don't Lamical. Lamical. We don't I don't. I don't give Felipe Franks enough credit just because of some of the stuff that he does, like his antics. He looks he looks like he's ready to have a really big year. Which Not is starter yet, according to this is so, Dan that's Hall. so stupid. Oh also, real yeah. quick, we gotta throw this out there. Wait, are you gonna say? Are you gonna say the attendance thing? Because I was gonna save that for No, Connor, for I was gonna much. give you a happy birthday wish and sing you a song. Were you really? No, I was gonna say that the attendance thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, I, I I knew where you're going with that. That I'm saving yeah. that for might mean too much. Okay. We'll get to that later. Um, Kentucky. I, see, I, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. Guys that were on the same page this weekend: neighbor Terry Wilson and Lynn Bowden looked really good together. Um, really, really good. Uh, Isaiah Epps also had a long touchdown catch. The overreaction from Kentucky spring game: neighbor Terry Wilson is going to become one of the SEC's better quarterbacks. What does that mean? I top am, what, do you think? I would say, like, top, if you're saying better, that means, like, top five, top six. Okay. So I don't think he's going to get there, at least not for a little bit, just because, yes, while he looked really, really good, I mean, looked as comfortable as we have ever seen yeah. him. And we talked a little bit um, to, to Mark Stoops about that and, and bringing up this, this year two and how much more comfortable he needs to get, especially without having Benny Snell. But I still question just how much he's going to be able to get over the mental hurdle with with him because I think it's you saw at times last year there was almost times where you're like dude drop like drop back and just let it fly yeah. like let it go he's it got was an almost arm. like he was too afraid to make a mistake he's got the arm it's there remember the pass he had against Florida 
Like the deep, that was, the deep ball. I think it was on third down too. It was like a, I think it ended up being like a forty-six yard touchdown. But it was like play the game. It was yeah, it was incredible. And and I, I you know, I I think you're right. Like I, I I tell you what, first off, maybe I'm overreacting. Lynn Bowden's going to be the next star, like to come from either Kentucky, but I think he's an All SEC player. I thought this last year. I went back and forth. Bowden, Bowden. I think it's Bowden. It's Bowden. I, I've, I've seen Bowden. It was a Bobby Bowden. Is it Bobby Bowden, yeah. Connor? I, I actually watched like three clips today to see because I was like, ah, oh, is it Bowden? Is it Bowden? I don't know because with names like this, you know, you usually just see it see it spelled out. And yeah. sometimes when you're listening to a game, you don't necessarily process that. But Let's call him Lynn Bowden. Broden. I like that. All right, cool. That's good. That's, that's your new name, number one. You're the best. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think Terry Wilson can take the next step. But how big that next step is, I don't know. Because, I mean, I, I think I had him at, like, number 12 in my SEC quarterback power rankings at the end of the season. So, for him to make a leap up, like, seven, eight spots, that would be a Kellen Mond-like jump. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if we're there taking yet. your ranking seriously, though. So, it's oh, play. Oh, they were. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree with you. And we, this is one of those things we talked about a lot last year, to, to, to your credit, like, we had him low. Well, you know, Garantano's one you had low that I would I would always get. But I, I brought him back up high, and then I brought him back down to earth but a little to, bit at the to end. But to be fair, like, Wilson was the weak link of that offense a lot of times. And we, we talked about he had a, a couple of good highlight plays against Florida. He played well for most of that game. That was like the second or third game of the year. And outside of the Missouri game, where I don't think he had a touchdown pass until that very end of the game, um, I, and, he, and he had a very high completion percentage that day, but it wasn't like... He was lighting the world up. Like he had under ten yards per com- like per completion, which is never good. I in that game, I'm saying, but I don't think he's going to be a top tier SEC quarterback. And to be fair, though, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the league this year. That's true. And there was a stat that surprised me about him. I think it was six of his final eight games he was held to under thirty yards rushing, which probably yeah. not going to work necessarily. I mean, we want to see more with his arm, but like. You know that's also got to be part part of his game to be successful. Tell you what, but, brother, last six of the last eight of his cookouts, he had one of the best damn set of ribs I've ever had in my life. I would actually believe that. Yeah, Neighbor Terry Wilson could definitely make some good ribs. Um, and and probably also worth mentioning, Mark Stoops said the game was really really sloppy, yeah. and he's talking about really defensively more than anything else yeah. because that's the side of the ball that he focuses on. We know that he is going to put his money in in our bank. Put your money um, in this bank. And we think that the defense is going to be okay. But I do still have questions about, about neighbor Terry Wilson. Let's go to Mississippi State because that was a game I think a lot of people are looking at the Keaton Thompson situation. That's not the direction I want to go in for this argument specifically. Um, the overreaction from that game is Mississippi State won't skip a beat without, without Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Swimmins. Simmons, not Swimmins. That's cool, too. That's combining That's the good. two. <laughs> Swimmins would be a pretty cool name. But... The defense had a really good day, and it looked strong, and it made life tough on Keaton Thompson, really made life tough on, on all their quarterbacks. Um, I know Garrett Trader had a big day too, but um, I, I, think, I thought the defense was kind of the star of that. And I love Errol Thompson, Willie Gay, these guys who look like they're going to be the heart and soul of that defense yeah. in the middle of it. But I question if this defense is going to even maintain top 20 status because of how many things Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons did. I mean, they made everybody else's job so much easier with what they were able yeah. to do up front that I, I do sort of question. And that's, you know, it was a guy like, you know, McLaurin and Abram and these guys on the back end who have been so valuable yeah. for you too. I, I question if this group is going to be able to do the heavy lifting even close no. to the to the way it did last year. You know, one thing we talk about a lot with Mississippi State, and, and I, I give, like, I don't want to say I give them a hard time on this, but like we talked about this before, is they've kind of been pretty 
most of their teams outside of like the one Dak Prescott year in 2014 have been pretty similar. They they usually kind of float around that seven and five, eight and four record, and and they usually every once in a while they have like a standout guy, you know, running back or quarterback or you know on defense. There are some really really good players they had on that defense last year, and not just Sweat and Simmons like you said though. And on the back end in that secondary, they're losing, and it's going to be hard to replace. And I I question how how they're going to be able to replace them, especially when the focus of this head coach, and we love him to death, is oh, offense. God. I think that what we've seen from Sweat and Simmons is just so rare yeah. in the SEC. To have a combination of guys who Simmons against the run and Sweat yes. rushing the passer was just so special. And Simmons could rush the passer too, don't get me wrong. Yeah. If you go back to that play that, that Errol Thompson made against Kansas State where he made that ridiculous like one-handed interception that you have no idea how he comes up with. Stupid. If you actually go back and watch that play... Jeffrey Simmons rushed the passer, and the Kansas State quarterback was throwing to a land of no one. And that's the type of thing, though, when I say those guys make everything easier for everyone else. Errol Thompson's tremendous in coverage, but he's that much better when he's got a quarterback that's got Jeffrey Simmons or Montez Sweat breathing down his neck. And that's where we're going to need to see these guys and and whether or not they can make these big-time plays in space and do it without necessarily the aid of those guys up front. Yeah, I I mean, I I agree. I I think this would be a massive overreaction. I'm excited to see how Kylan Hill looks because, man, that kid showed glimpses last year, especially in talking about the Kansas State game where he he looked like a top-tier back. I'm bigger on him, so it's like I I already said it. I mean, yeah, roasted, bro. We'll just share that. Follows me on Twitter, sick brag. (laughs) Does he really? Yeah, he does. Nobody follows me on Twitter. He might be team follow back. I'm not sure, but okay. uh, we'll just assume that he is. Let's let's go to Mizzou because Kelly Bryant was um, somebody that a lot of people were focused say on. Uh, you say it, not me. That, that interview at the end was one of the more bizarre 40 seconds I've ever seen in SC football. It was weird. For those who didn't see it, explain it. They, somebody, some lady on the field or man on the field, I think it was a man on the field, reporting he was asking um kelly bryant like how you know how's what do you think about playing in missouri like how how's it been he's like oh it's great man it's great and there's no there's no one in the stands behind him like at all not the best background right i should have done the shot the other way yeah and to be fair it was because like they're doing a lot of renovations the renovations look like they're going to be great i you know that i'm a big fan of mizzou I, i love mizzou um but yeah the the backdrop didn't look didn't look so great and he was like oh the crowd's all all I think he said awesome the first time. Maybe he just flubbed it, but it kind of sounded like he said awful. And then it was just it was just a very awkward, awkward interview. And like it was just I don't know, it was uncomfortable. But he looked good. He looked good early. I think he started out the game nine of eleven passing. He looked like fantastic. Um, my my biggest reaction to this is that he's the reason that Missouri will take the next step next year. So taking the next step at Missouri, because let's let's define that a little bit. Eight or nine wins is, you know, what we've come to, I don't want to say their standard. Eight, eight wins. Eight wins is their standard. Yeah. It's a little bit like Mississippi State in that regard, in that, mm-hmm. you know, you're a program that... Better football you, history at Mizzou. Better football history at Mizzou and getting to SEC championships. You're right. Yep. You're right. That That is fair. But I, just in the last couple of years, I think as, as we talk about Mizzou is, you know, not necessarily being that team that we're predicting to win the comp, predicting to win the division necessarily, but I, I think... The next step for Mizzou is double-digit wins, getting to you know some sort of New Year's Day bowl, and 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 maybe potentially winning that too. Yeah. So what you're saying is that Kelly Bryant's not going to be the reason that Mizzou gets to that next. Well, level. and I think we've talked a lot about this, like and we've when we discussed stuff, we talked to TJ Mo and, and other stuff like that. With um, I, I joked around like back and forth on Twitter with the guys from the Mizzou cast, and we've talked to Adam Spencer about the same thing. 
is a lot of people think this is like a, a potentially 11 and one team. And I, I think that like, this is a team that could really, really go further than a lot of people give them credit for. And Missouri has become, you know, kind of like the butt of the joke in the sec. And it's cause they're the farthest state away. And it's because we like to stick to lazy narratives like as you give me credit for sometimes, like with the SEC, it's it's the easy low hanging fruit butt of the joke. But that being said, like they're a very good program, and they've they, let's not forget they've beat Tennessee by thirty three points each of the past two seasons. They beat Florida on the road last year by three touchdowns. This is a team that I think is going to be even better this year. I think they're going to be at least double-digit win team, at least. I think they could do a little bit more damage. I don't see them going to Athens and winning. But I also don't see Kelly Bryant being the reason that they take, quote-unquote, the next step. I think it's I think it's more so their defense and the people around them. Because you're talking about, you know, I don't want to say a generational talent because they've had some great quarterbacks, but, you know, you just lost Drew Locke. It's a gen- yeah, for, for Mizzou, I mean, it's no. kind of a... Blaine Gabbert, Tony... Je- uh, no, no, he he's... He's arguably the worst of the of the quarterbacks I would think in the past fifteen years they've had in that system. James Franklin's probably the best. Or I'm sorry, it's Chase Daniel. It's tough to compare Chase Daniel to Drew Locke just because yeah. we're comparing Big Twelve to, to SEC the and Blake Gabbert too. I mean, we're we're it's tough to make that that crossover comparison. I almost feel like they should kind of be in their own thing. But I th- I think it's fair to say somebody is as prolific as Drew Locke was, somebody that could be picked in the first round of yep. the NFL draft is is somebody that is really, really tough to replace. And I I have I've been really impressed with what Kelly Bryant has been able to do from from an off the field standpoint. Yeah. It's very clear that he is the guy there. And mm-hmm. a lot of places, you know, even Ohio State isn't naming Justin Fields the starter. They're not just handing the keys to Justin Fields to be the guy. And that's for, you know, you can get into reasons about wanting to have quarterbacks stay on campus and not necessarily think that he's just the guy. But I love that Mizzou has embraced this. And they're tweeting yeah. out videos of Kelly like Kelly Bryant, like get used to seeing Kelly Bryant throwing touchdown passes. And they've gone all in with this. And I like that because I think they need it. And I think yeah. that in a year where we're still looking at a postseason ban for this team, so I mean, ridiculous. we think that there's still a possibility it can be lifted, but that's still on the table. You need a guy like Kelly Bryant to just inject some life because this could be a really depressing offseason for Mizzou. I and mean, if he wasn't there, can we think about how different things would be right now? Such a good point. It's such a good point. And, I mean, you just have Derek Dooley walk around with those stupid yellow pants nonstop. Just, Is he wearing those? Yet? I don't know. Probably not. But like, lazy not. narratives are my thing. So, <laughs> But here's the, here's the thing I will say about it. Kelly Bryant, and I, I will be cliche as much as I hate cliches in general, but I will say this. Everything you need to know about what you said, uh, Kelly Bryant is is like, he's the guy. Like He's like the glue, and he's done so much. Everything you need to know about Kelly Bryant is what we saw this weekend when his former teammates from Clemson made the road Amazing. trip to Columbia, Missouri. And you saw it, man. Ain't nothing to do in Columbia, Missouri. I'm just kidding. I don't know that. I've never been there. It looks beautiful. But it was that that says a lot, especially coming off a national championship. He doesn't beat Bama. I'm, I'm higher on Kelly Bryant than it was than it was a month ago. Yeah. I knew that was going to get in there somewhere. Let's go on to, to Tennessee. You have a great overreaction for the balls. Tennessee is back, baby. I, th- like, I was excited about this this weekend. Originally, a little peel behind the end for all of you, the overreaction was Jerry Garantano is a top three quarterback because I was going to make fun of myself. Maybe that was an overreaction, but now I have to stick with it. That's just a prediction, not an overreaction. Yeah, you're on board with that. That's, that's I am, he, and he looked great. He looked great. What looked I, really good. What I will say is this. Tennessee being back, 
I don't see that happening this year. I think that Jeremy Pruitt's the right coach. I love the coaching staff they put in place. I love what they're doing the recruiting trail. I think, I think that they are going to be in a tough. This is weird to say, tough division to be quote unquote back this early. Who's the power rank the teams that it's most fun to say uh, we're back? Texas is number one. Tennessee, Texas, and Nebraska. <laughs> All T's, man. No, besides so, well, Nebraska. Nebraska yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we'll get into Nebraska later. They stole the show with Mason Ramsey singing the national anthem, damn it. That really rubbed you the wrong way, didn't it? It just was so weird. <laughs> Mason Ramsey's just the weirdest thing that this country has ever made famous. I don't know. It's, it's odd. It's like hot dogs. We went from talking about Tennessee being back to Mason Ramsey. Oh, yeah, sorry. Three seconds. Uh, back, back, back onto it. Okay, so Tennessee being back, I love that JG, he looked really good. I stand by what I said with him. I think he's going to really progress, and I think especially with the, the help around him. Juwan Jennings is back? Yeah, one of the weirder ways to spell Juwan. He is back, yeah. Is that not how you say it? No, that's how, that's how you say it. He just spells it J-A-U-A-N. Bowden. I, don't, I like that. Um, no, I, I think Tennessee is going to have a really good year. I think they're going to obviously improve from last year. But I think we should pump the brakes a little bit from being back, only because I know this fan base well enough from growing up around their dominance of the SEC, especially the, like over Alabama. They're not back to where you think they're going to be. It, like, and when I say when I say that, I mean you play Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee. I'm sorry, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Those are your biggest three hurdles. I think to get back, you got to beat one of those, and I think they're going to be competitive in in two of those, two of the three of those games. But I think to be back, you have to beat one of those teams, and I don't think they're going to beat any of those teams this fall. If I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm feeling pretty good about Jim Chaney. I think yeah. after watching what we saw from him on Saturday, I, I am still a little bit, and I, I've said this a lot with with Garantano, I'm still just skeptical about fourth offensive coordinator in four years and how difficult that is to be able to do that, but. Yeah. I do like that Jim Chaney is, is in control of this offense because I think they're going to be able to spread the field a lot more. They're going to take a lot more downfield shots. They're going to have, dare I say, a running game. Yeah, and an offensive line and talent. Every, and, like, they're going to be better coached. And, and again, I want I want Tennessee fans to understand this. I'm not saying that they're not going to beat those three teams because they aren't competitive enough or good enough to beat those games. You, about, you got to go back down to Florida in the swamp. They're, they're going to be good. Um, you know, there's, there's, those three teams are possibly going to be in the top ten. I think that if we're having the conversation about whether or not Tennessee is back at any point during this season, that's a win in itself. That's a good point. Fans. That's a good point. Let's move on to AM because this was a game that was originally supposed to be played on Saturday and then it gets moved up to Friday. So maybe, you know, you only caught some highlights of it because let's be honest, Friday night there are a lot of things going on. But we did happen to catch some of the action and there were I think some overreactions from College Station. Kellen Mond will take a step back in year two after losing Travion Williams and Jake the Snake Sternberger. I believe the latter half of that is going to be difficult to replace, but I, people saying he's going to take a step back because he threw an interception on the first pit, like, play of the game and he's losing like a lot of offensive talent. Like, I am one that said he's like it's going to be hard to replace that offensive production. However, you've got one of the best coaching co- or quarterback coaches in the country in Jimbo Fisher. Right, like he's he does wonders with quarterbacks, and you're in year two of his system. You've got even they they are bringing in even more talents around him with that recruiting class from last year. I think they're going to be they have a chance. They have a tough schedule, but I think Mond. I don't know if they do better than they did last year, but I know I think Kellen Mond definitely will. Yeah, I th- I think that 
the way that he responded after that first play. I actually, I like that. I like yeah. kind of seeing him shake that off a little bit because you need to see that out of your quarterback, the way they bounce back. We talk about that with Joe Burrow a lot, and that's one of the reasons that you like him so much is that he can show that face within a game and he's not going to get rattled from that. Um, he but yeah, there I, I mean, complete 48% of his passes and still win you a ball game. I think that with A&M, though, the fact that they have, I think it's their top four wide receivers back yep. in this offense and guys that showed some flashes last year I think Kelamon is going to be able to work with that and that's this goes back to why Jimbo Fisher named Kelamon the starter in the first place is because when you look at Kelamon as as a just an all-around player there's really nothing that he can't do on the field and if you're trying to build your offense around a guy and you have all the you have question marks when you lose guys like Travion, you lose a guy like Travion Williams and Jay Sternberger, and you're trying to figure out what's the direction of your offense, you still come back to, okay, I feel pretty good about the fact that we have Kellen Mond at quarterback, yeah. this guy that has this skill set that is really more probably more developed than a lot of the quarterbacks in the SEC, and we feel mm-hmm. good about where we're at Agreed. with him. So yeah, I agree with with the take that he well the I disagree with the overreaction that, okay, yeah, he's not going to take a step back. I think he t- takes a step forward. We'll yep. just say that. Last Shall we say the last, the best for last, according to you? Um, no, you didn't say that. Those are my words, not yours. What's your overreaction for Bama? I think I know what it is. Tua wasn't the best quarterback on the field on Saturday. Now, here's the thing. He wasn't, maybe, um, like statistically, and I think that a lot of times people – at Alabama, um, when you come from a state that blessed with riches and fortune of, of just you know living a better life uh, in that state, you want to always have the best things around you. And Tua didn't live up to expectations following the offseason. I think that people probably are overreacting to Tua's poor performance on Saturday because it wasn't what they were hoping for. I think they wanted to come out and complete you know ten of. 10 passes or nine, you know, nine of 11 for 350 yards, like those games we saw in the first half of the season last year. And he didn't do that. And he had a couple of drops and he didn't look as as solid and sharp as he did last year. But what he did differently than the rest of the quarterbacks, and I can't believe I even have to say this, is he didn't make the same terrible, costly mistakes that everyone else in the field made at the quarterback position. I cannot believe this is even an argument. No, and it's not. I might fall into that category of people that are reacting too much to what we saw in the spring yeah. game. I wrote afterwards, I wrote for Monday, that oh, I, I think that it. there's I think there's reason to have some concern. Panic is, is too much, but I think it's fair to be a little bit concerned, and it's not necessarily Tua making reads. It's not necessarily his health, which Nick Saban says he's 100%. Tua says he's 100%. Saban even said you can go talk to any doctor you want, and he'll say that Tua is, is good to go. <laughs> and he made made sure to say, like, this is not a, a physical issue. And he's like, trying, you guys are trying to make something out of nothing. No, what we're trying to make something out of and what we're trying to figure out is why has Tua, three of the last four times that we've seen him play football on television, yep. not look very good? That's a really good think, way to put it, Connor. That's that's a fair question to ask at this point. And I realize that the one game that he that he did look good during that stretch was against Oklahoma, and he was incredibly good. But you're still trying to figure out what is he going to do responding from the first time in his career where he where he gets punched in the face, for lack of a better phrase. He got punched Goes in the face the down the stretch. <laughs> he he became good friends with with the tent. And I think right now you're trying to figure out 
Where is he at mentally? Where is he at trying to figure out, sort through all this, this talk about him being the future number one overall pick, dealing with all this preseason buzz? You know, last year we forget, yeah, he's got preseason hype after second and 26, but it's still, okay, is Tua going to be the starter? That's at least the, the narrative surrounding him. And now he's thinking about an entirely different set of expectations after what he did last year. So I think that right now there's still some mental things that he's working through. He's not stepping into all of his throws nope. right now. And not he just doesn't as look as decisive. Not getting, yeah, not getting the, the same mustard that we've come accustomed Dang. to seeing from Tua. So I think that that's, that's, that's where I stand just in terms of evaluating him and where he's at during the spring. Well, and I tell you what, some people... I mean, I'm one of them that you need like, like constant validation to, to go out and do things well. And it's not like a great trait to have, but I wonder if that's something he struggles with because you talk about when he came into the season last year, when he had you come off second 26 and up until that point, all that we ever hear about is potential and and like what what he could possibly do. Because he's this talented, and, and, and Trent Dilfer said this, and and you know you talk about like the lead up to the the national championship game when or the Sugar Bowl against Clemson last year when he went like fifty four of fifty eight in scrimmages against the like Bama's defense. You're like, what in the hell? Like they should be starting him over Jalen. Jalen's getting exposed, all this other stuff, and everyone's talking him up because you know all we know of is is the grass is always greener on the other side. First off. And all we know is, like, we think we might have something better in this kid. And then he comes in and wins, you, <laughs> wins the game, the national championship, and, and goes off in the second half. And all you're hearing is great things, great things, great things. And like you said, he got punched in the mouth. And it started to happen even against Mississippi State. And it was like, what's he going to do when he, when he literally gets hit? I'm, this I'm this feeds into this, this next topic that, that I want to get to with you. And Chris Doring asked me a question on SEC this morning about – the gap between Tua and Jake Fromm, and if it's you know kind of smaller than than maybe the national narrative is, and if there's a chance that you know maybe Fromm ends up being the better prospect coming out of this class, even though the buzz is about Tua being the number one overall pick, the whole tank for Tua thing with the Dolphins, all that that we talked about, but I think that there is something to be said for this because of the point that you just made. In that, I'm not saying that Fromm is is better than Tua. I've got SEC quarterback power rankings coming out on Wednesday, and I have Tua at number one. Spoiler alert. I have him ahead of Fromm. But I think that there is a question that Fromm has answered that Tua hasn't. We saw against LSU, Fromm got punched in the mouth. And that was the point in his career where he had the bye week after, and it was before the Florida game. And you could take a step back and he could say, what direction is, is this kid going to go in right now? Because there are a lot of people that are saying, let's let's bring in Justin Fields. He's going to be the guy. Let's see what at least what we have in him. We've seen how far Jake Fromm can take the offense. And somewhere in that Florida game, maybe it was when he completed like five straight passes to Isaac Nada. He just sort of found it. And he, in those last six games, I don't think it, it's really appreciated like how good he was. And I understand Georgia lost its last two games. But let's not forget the fact that Jake Fromm completely outplayed Tua in the SEC championship before Tua went down. In the last six games of Georgia's season, which were you know after the LSU loss, Jake Fromm had a TD to interception ratio of 17 and 2. He completed 68% of his passes. Four of the six defenses he faced finished in the top 20 in scoring. So all those questions about can Jake Fromm actually like be good against a good defense? He's answered that. And Tua has had moments where he's been really good against good defenses. I'm not saying that he hasn't. But this moment of like getting punched in the face and this, this humbling moment where it happens to everybody, Jake Fromm has already, has already bounced back from that. And Tua, is, we're still waiting to see how he's going to handle all Wait, this. Wait, hold on. When did he look bad in three of the past four? Georgia and Clemson and who? 
I'm including the, the spring game. Three of the last four times oh. that he's been on football, on television playing football was my point. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't want to leave you on an island here. I just don't think I should answer this question. I just like there, there was no there wasn't really a question like it's it's not is the gap smaller I think it is I think you're right I think the gap is smaller and I and I we've sang Fromm's praises but it is very hard to like drum up a lot of praise for a guy that has now lost to this team twice in the past you know he did he did he lost to him twice in the same calendar year I understand that yeah but I, Fromm I, also wasn't the reason they lost that game. Exactly, and he looked really damn good. I mean, he was—he didn't help in the first one, the national championship game. I think he got outdueled by two in that one. But I mean, yeah, you're right. Like from the way From closed last year, and 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 you and you brought up these numbers: seventeen touchdowns, two interceptions. One thing I will say, as I think it's, it kind of helps and hurts like the argument for how great that is. Keep in mind, like this running game for Georgia was averaging, like I believe, besides the Texas game, I don't know what they did in the postseason. But they were averaging like two hundred and seventy yards rushing per game after the LSU loss. So it's impressive that he was still putting up those numbers. Um, at the same time, he also had a much more balanced offense that was helping him out. And now he's lost Cheney, which Georgia tried to keep him on no matter what. You remember that. That know. feeds into this discussion that I want to I want to get to uh, with Fromm before we go to our interview with Josh Floyd. And Fromm coming into this season, he and DeAndre Swift, I think, have this they have the potential to join this 30-15 club. What is the 30-15 club, you ask? It's not quite the 30-30 club. It's not quite the 40-40 club. It's not quite anything you'll see in New York City. It's even better. It's even more exclusive. That was cool. 30 touchdown passes for a starting quarterback in the SEC and 15 rushing touchdowns for an SEC running back. Duos have only accomplished this feat in the SEC during the 21st century three times. 2015 Arkansas with Brandon Allen and Alex Collins. 2012 Alabama with A.J. McCarron and Eddie Lacy. Of course, you remember that. 2012 Georgia with Aaron Murray, our guy, and Todd Gurley. I think that Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift are going to join this club this year. And I think they could have last year had DeAndre Swift been right in the first half of the season because Fromm ends up finishing with 30 touchdown passes, and we saw what Swift was capable of down the stretch especially. But it's interesting because... It's so rare that we really see these great these great quarterback running back duos. And it's sort of, you know, I guess it, it sort of takes away from, you know, if you have a one-two punch in the backfield, which a lot of teams have, and maybe that's why we haven't seen this happen in the last three seasons in the SEC. But I do think that it's something that is worth keeping in mind and will maybe be a nice little send-off for them because we, we expect them to be going to the NFL. I think it's just something that's worth watching as we evaluate this offense. We try and figure out how in the world do you stop them. If you have balance like that yeah. with two guys that are at elite levels at their position, it's obviously really, really difficult, and that's why it's such a rare accomplishment in the SEC. No, I agree. And, you know, we, we do talk about they do lose a lot at receiver with, you know, Ridley True. being gone and Harvin being gone, but they return a lot too, man. Holloman's going to be great, and they've the, – this is so bad. Why, why am I forgetting his name now? Robertson. Um, Robertson struggled last year, but, but I, you know, still has potential. Former five-star guy. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think he also struggled because he <laughs> he got there pretty late. Um, I, I think with the the biggest thing with with if you talk about strictly from a thirty to fifteen standpoint, Fromm is going to put up ridiculous numbers this year because it's in his third season. He's progressed each year. He's looked fantastic. He's beat out two two. Uh, five stars in a row, which has been ridiculous. And keep in mind, five stars that are like 
I think Georgia fans thought were going to be like generational type talents at UGA with with Eason. God, they were excited about Eason and Fields, and now they're both gone because you've got a guy already in place that is better than them. Um, I will say, with like the the part that's going to help the most is the fact that their backups being gone, and I don't know what Zamir White's going to look like. He physically <laughs> looks ridiculously good. Looks good. Yeah, looks good. Terrifying. Um, but Holyfield being gone. Um, I know you have James Cook coming back, like you, were, like you said, but with Justin Fields not vying for playing time behind behind uh, Fromm, I don't think Fromm – Georgia's going to be good enough this year where they're going to put away teams pretty early in games, I think, like teams that are unevenly matched against them. So I don't know how late in the games Fromm is going to be like be in, but he's not going to have anyone behind him like vying for playing time. So most of the stats are going to be going his way. And, and I get the Zamir White thing, too, and obviously Georgia fans are super excited about him, but I don't think he's going to be a high-volume guy. I don't think he's going to get the carries that Elijah Holyfield did in that no. offense because he's still coming back from, what, his second Two. ACL tear? Yeah. I mean, that's that's still not necessarily a guy that you're going to say, hey, go get a, you know 15 carries a game for you. No. Keep in mind that DeAndre Swift had the year that he did without having more than 17 carries in a given game. He also didn't so think- play hardly in the beginning the entire first, like, eight games of the year. His first game that he really played in was LSU. They didn't start, like, pounding the rock to him until after that loss. And so if you look at that standpoint and think the workload is going, there's there should be an uptick. He came out and said he expects there to be an uptick now with Holyfield gone. And I, I can't say I blame him for that. I don't think he's going to be a 20-carry-a-game guy. And obviously he helps out in the passing game too. But even if he just averages 15 carries a game, I think he could get to this 15 touchdown mark, especially if Georgia is playing for an SEC championship, and then you know to have a bowl game would be would be 14 games in a season. So yeah, I, I do think rushing. that they could join this club. I don't know about rushing, like because 15 is a lot rushing. Like I think in that offense, because what Kirby's going to do is what he's done and, and taking a page out of what he learned under Saban is trying to get two backs and not have one. Pro, like you, you have one guy, but you're going to be rotating your backs. You know, so like it's rare that you see something like what Derrick Henry did when it's like, well, we don't have an offense, so we're just going to feed you 40 times a game. So I think he, I, I don't know if he gets 15 rushing touchdowns, but I would bet, I'll just, I'll steal an old line that I used to use. I would bet anything my fiance owns that Whoa. that he gets over 15 total touchdowns. Like I, I, that's if there's a prop bet for that, I would put every bit of money on that, all three digits in my account. So just something to, to remember and something that we'll be we'll be following along with that, the 3015 club that I invented out of thin it's air. It's good. I like that. Yeah, it sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? It, it does. It's also, we got the sirens. Things about to really pick up here. I also think it's really cool that it happened in 2002 or 2012 from two teams. Yeah, pretty amazing that Bama and Georgia were both able to do that that year. And you could make a case that each one of those is – is the most impressive of that group because the 2015 Arkansas had was the only member of the 3020 club um, with Brandon Allen and Alex Collins, and then 2012 Bama McCarron and Lacey that led to a national title, and the 2012 Georgia with Murray and Gurley that was the most total touchdowns combined out of out of the two of them. So like, it's rare, and I get that it kind of takes more of like a having a true lead back, which Georgia has obviously relied on a bevy of backs in years past. But I just I, I think it's possible, and I think that given what we expect from from Swift and from in entering this year, as long as they are healthy, I think that it is perfectly on the table. Just real quick to flex the SEC muscle from 2012, I just want to throw out too one reason that this might have been overshadowed in 2012 that because this is an incredible feat and, and stat that you're bringing up. But one reason this is probably overshadowed is because in that same year, I 
that we had Johnny Manziel in the Heisman, and I'm pretty sure he joined the 30-20 club himself. Yeah, and that's <laughs> a lot of people are going to point to that and say, well, why can't you just say Manziel or Cam or Tebow yeah. or somebody like that? Well, you know, this is meant to be able to say, okay, we have this much balance with, with two people and that it's not just like one person who takes over the offense right. or, or something like that. So that's that's why I think it's it's more interesting when you kind of break this down into one quarterback, one individual running back as well. But yeah, that is probably worth, worth mentioning in, the, in that discussion. Let's go to our interview with uh, Josh Floyd. We got to talk about some some great stuff with, with Gus Malzahn playing in his system what it's like to be Paul Tyson, the great-grandson of Paul Bear Bryant, and deal with this constant pressure. I don't know why I keep saying Paul Bear Bryant like over and over again. Like yeah, people are like, if I just said a bear. Say <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Bear Bryant. Yeah, I, I, it's probably because Paul Tyson, Paul, I, I don't know, whatever it is. But anyways, without further ado, here's our interview with Josh Floyd. Say his middle name. We're now joined by a very, very special guest. It is Hewitt Trustville coach Josh Floyd. So for those of you who don't know, Josh has a bunch of SEC connections. But before we get to all those, and trust me, we will, uh, Wikipedia told me that back when you were in high school in 1998, I don't mean to date you or anything with that, but um, that you nearly set the national record for total yards, 5,878. Two-part question to start. How far were you from getting that record, and is that at the top of your resume? It's it's not on top of my resume anymore. I think when I was first coming out college, I was trying to get jobs. So yeah, I, I tried to I tried to impress people more. But uh, really, I I think we broke the record that year, and then I think it got broken later. I think is is what happened there. So um, you know we we threw it around quite a bit um, with Coach Miles on there. That that uh, you know his, he he got there my my sophomore season of high school, and so we uh, but we we were able to for quite a few yards um you know those couple years so it was a it was a lot of fun man so but but i'm pretty sure now a lot of those records have been broken so we'll call it like the the 20th century record or or something like that you you (laughs) kind of got to play at the the tail end of the the century there uh but that's one of the reasons that we wanted to 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 talk with you because having that experience playing for gus malzahn 20 years ago i mean you were one of his first quarterbacks back in the day and i know we talked about this a few months ago um, but, you know, I'm interested in getting a little bit more in-depth in that and, you know, seeing what his offense was back then. What's just the best way that you can describe it to people like us who have never been in that huddle and have had Gus in our ear? What's the best way that you can describe playing quarterback for him? Well, first of all, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it just because, I mean, I obviously felt like it was a it was it was a, a way to get points on the board and, and, and do it in a fast way and, and I think the pace of it all just makes it makes it a lot of fun um, you know it, it, you're never you're never bored during practice or thinking about this or thinking about that it's just, it's just a lot of fun to uh, to prepare I mean obviously coaches is very tough on his quarterbacks I mean that's something that I mean, he demands excellence and uh, you know I, I think I get asked about him quite a bit I mean I, and I think one thing that's always been great about coach i think he just very um pays very close attention to detail and uh i think that's something as a coach now that i've tried to i've tried to take take that i mean you know he just demands perfection and uh you know it it doesn't matter you know it's not really about having a lot of plays and 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 all this kind of stuff you know it's just about whatever you do it's about doing it the right way and so um you know he coach was was pretty tough on us you know i I joke with him every now and then he's kind of gotten soft on his quarterbacks over the years <laughs> compared to what he used to do to me and some of our guys. But, 
you know, but it was, uh, you know, it, it was a joy to play for him. Um, I obviously learned a lot about the game, learned a lot about, um, you know, life outside of the game. But, I mean, as far as just playing the pure quarterback, I mean, it's something you obviously spend a lot of time um, with him. So, uh, you know, he's obviously got a proven proven tracker record with quarterbacks. Um, but I was, I was just, you know, I was fortunate to be, you know, really one of his first, especially when he started running this system. I was going to ask you about the the schematic changes, but now I think I'm more interested in. You said he's soft on his quarterbacks now, and he wasn't that 20 years ago. How how much different? What what was what was it like to get a, a tongue lashing from from Gus um, on a given day? Let's say you you know you miss a read or something like that, or you you know you, you make the wrong call in the huddle, something something to that degree. What what was it like to get shoot out from Gus, and how much has he really softened up? <laughs> He hasn't really softened up. I, I just joke with him, just, just try to just try to give him a hard time. So uh, I, I would I would venture to say his quarterbacks now would not say he softened up um, at, at all. So uh, you know I'm pretty much just trying to mess with him. But uh, you know you know things interesting about Coach Malzahn. I mean if he doesn't, he's one of those coaches. I mean he won't cuss at you now. I mean he you know he doesn't use that kind of language or anything. So it's kind of a different um, a different lashing I guess you could say. But uh, you know, one thing that was interesting about where I was at, you know, it was a smaller school that we played at, and so I played some defense, and uh, I played I played corner in high school, and so, um, you know, he, I wouldn't play every snap, but I played quite a bit. So usually if I, you know, the, the good thing about that is if I made a mistake or if I threw an interception, I mean, I, I could hear him yelling at me on the sideline, but I just would, I just pretend like I couldn't hear him, you know, because I had to stay out there and, and play defense. <laughs> so sometimes I just... You know, that, that was kind of my, my go-to. I just pretend like I didn't hear him sometimes. So, you know, good thing about playing defense, you just kind of go, uh, you know, take out some frustrations on, you know, on the other team. But, uh, you know, I mean, he just – it really was about just, just perfection. And, uh, you know, I already said that once. I mean, I think that's really what it come down to, came down to most times as coaches. He just wanted you to do it the, the right way, um, all, all those little details. Um, you know, and, and, and when you see it work and you see those things pay off, then obviously – it's easier to buy into that and understand he's just trying to to make you better as a you know, as a player. So you know, and the thing about coach, I mean, he'll get fired up when you when you do well too. I mean, it's not like he doesn't get excited. You know, I think that's one thing about coaching. I mean, it's okay to get on to kids, but but you know, if if you never you know if you never enjoy it with them or never get fired up with them, it, I think it's a little bit harder for kids to take. But uh, you know, he he would be the first one to give you a high five coming off the sideline and get fired up and. So I think that that made it that made it easier to to take the the lashings when they when they came. So I didn't have this, Connor. I apologize. It's not in the notes, but I, I got to know. Did he use the phrase "dog crap" when he when he would get mad back in the day? <laughs> yeah, crap. I mean, crap's one of his words that he okay. used. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I'll, I'll have to substitute that in for mine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me uh, let me beat around the bush a little bit with this question because I don't want to force you into saying anyone by name and getting in trouble or anything like that. So let me say, what kind of quarterback would be the best fit to start in Malzahn's offense this season? Give me a number or description. <laughs> you know, I I think obviously with uh, with what they've done, you know, in, in Auburn, I mean, I think it's if a guy's mobile, that obviously helps them. Um, you know, it just, it just, and I think that's anywhere. I mean, anywhere that you look at, but if a guy, the quarterback can run the football, that just changes things. Um, you know, I think, I don't necessarily think it's better or worse. I just think it, you know, it depends on obviously what you want to do schematically. Um, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of benefits to that. The defense has to, 
has to prepare for him. Um, you know, I, I think you've got some guys there on campus that are that are really good fits for him right now. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that quarterback race, you know, w- w- what it comes down to. Um, but I, I think at, at that level, obviously, you got to be, be able to do both, man. I mean, it, it can't just be a run-only guy. I mean, you got to be able to do both. Um, I think coach, obviously, I mean, like every coach, I mean, he's going to want somebody to protect football. Um, you know, the quickest way to get on the bench, whether it's that system or another, is, is to, you know, stow it to the other team. So I, I think it's going to be somebody that can that can protect the football. Um, but, you know, there's some things you can't – you can't. I think it's hard to coach. Um, you know, as far as there's certain things with the guys can do, just, just certain pocket awareness, being able to escape a rush, um, but still keep your eyes downfield you know, and, and make a play. Um, you know, I think sometimes with dual threat guys, a negative can be guys can just – you know, first person's not there, not open. He that guy takes off running. You know, and sometimes that still works. Um, you know, but at some point down the line, that's that probably comes back to bite you. So, so I think a guy that can, you know, have some just pocket awareness guy. You know, and sometimes again, I, I don't know if you can coach all that. I mean, you know, I, I like coaching quarterbacks myself, and we'll we'll do some you know pocket awareness drills and all that, and and it helps some. But I, but I think some of that's just just you know God given ability that those guys were were born with and played a lot of football with. And so um, I think those are big keys to being able to, you know, be a guy that can, can make a play on the run and the play breaks down. And, and it just opens your playbook, you know, and I, and I think that's what Coach is excited about is I think he's got some guys down there that can really open up the playbook um, to, to, to where they've been in the past. I think one of the things that's weird about Gus's offense, though, is that we constantly talk about whether or not a guy is a system fit. And that was really the last couple of years with Jared Stidham. That was a popular topic of conversation. I got a multiple choice question for you as somebody that knows Gus's offense and has also watched it as an outsider. Was Jared Stidham and Gus's offense, A, a weird fit altogether, B, something that could have worked better with Gus calling plays, or C, more successful than we probably gave it credit for? I think probably C, and maybe, you know, I think a little bit about B just because I think Coach knows what he wants when he's the play caller, obviously. And there's obviously been, you know, guys have done a great job there, and, and I think, you know, the guys there before did a great job. But, I mean, I think there's just something different when you're the one calling plays and knowing exactly what, what you want. So, I mean, I, I, I do think it's been a little bit of a misconception that they have to have a guy that's a runner all the time. I mean, even – you know, I know when Coach first got to Arkansas, um, they didn't have a running quarterback. I know when he was the offense coordinator at Tulsa, and I know that's a um, you know different different level of it's Division One football, and those, those guys were breaking records and leading the country in offense there. Well, they were throwing for tons of yards. They they didn't really have a running quarterback, um, but they were able to run the football effectively. So um, I know again, I know it's different levels, different leagues, and all that, but I I don't think it has to be that way. Um, and I think the difference is you better be you better be really good at the other spots, obviously. I mean, you, you better be good up front. Um, you've got, I mean, I think more than anything, coach wants to be able to run the football. Um, and, and, and I think being in the SEC, you better play good defense. And you, at some point, you're going to have to be able to run the football in the SEC or you're not, you're not, you're not going to win a championship. And I think that's been proven over the, <laughs> the course of time in that league. You know, I, th- I think there are some leagues you can probably get away with it a little bit more than, than the SEC, but. Um, you know, you've got to be able to throw on the football more than anything. So, um, but, you know, I think it's, again, I think it's a little bit of a misconception. It, it has to be a, a dual threat guy, um, but obviously right. it, it, it opens up the playbook. I, I imagine, so, you know, you, you and Gus, you alluded to this earlier, and it's almost like 
you know, you you probably have a really good relationship with Gus, and you can send him a text. And you like to bust his chops and stuff. When when he sends you a text, I just imagine it's like an audible call. Like he'll send you a text. He'll be like Omaha, Omaha. There's some sort of you know old habits die hard, something like that. Um, but what is what is your relationship like, just from a back and forth perspective? Are you texting him on a weekly basis? Just what what's your communication been like with him over the years? Well, I mean, Coach has done a ton for me. You know, said not just on the field, but just off the field. Just been a big big mentor to me over the years. And uh, I mean, he's. He's just a, a great guy to have, um, you know, as far as, you know, it obviously helps that I, that I got in the same profession, um, you know, as him. So, so I think that obviously gives us a little bit easier, you know, easier avenue for us to to, meet, to communicate with. Um, you know, but I, I hung out with him last week. Actually, I went, went and watched Auburn practice one day, and I got to hang out with Coach for a while before, before the practice started. Um, you know, and I think it's just seasonal, really. I mean, I, you know, I think there's, there's, there's weeks where we'll – we, you know, we may text every week or, or talk a little bit, and then, you know, we're, we're both super busy. You know, we may go, you know, three or four weeks and not, not ever even talk to each other. So I, I think it's just kind of off and on. But, uh, but uh, you know, when, I know when I need something to have real – if I have questions or advice or something like that, I know I can always talk to Coach. But, uh, you know, but we're, really, I tell you, we really don't talk a ton of X's and O's a lot. We really don't. Um, I mean, it's more just, um, you know – Talking, you know, talking. I know his family. Uh, I mean, I know his wife real well, Christine. So, you know, she had a birthday last week. So I was down there exactly on her birthday. So, like, we were talking about her birthday. You know what I mean? So, I think it's, it's really probably more that relationship. Um, now, when you know, there's obviously some times I'll ask him some specifics about quarterbacks or or X's and O's, but uh, it's really more other stuff than, than that. So. Coach, let's shift the focus away from Auburn to a more important topic: Alabama. Um, I imagine, I imagine you watched the spring game this weekend. So what is something you maybe saw from not only Paul Tyson, but also Tua, because we're going to have to bring him up, that was a strength and maybe a weakness that you could see heading into the offseason? Well, um, I, I did get to see Alabama practice one time as well this spring. Um, and so, which I was, you know, I was there just to see some of our kids, you know, selfishly just want to see some of our kids that we have there and just see how they're progressing. And so, um, but, you know, I, I think obviously too, I had a big time year last year. Um, and, and I, and I think the biggest difference is, you know, there's going to be a little bit of change in the offense. And I think that's just, um, you know, from a terminology standpoint and guys just you know that whether they're under center a little bit more, I, th- I think some of those things will be a little bit different. Um, and I mean, I, obviously, you know, Alabama's not going to venture too far out of what they, what they are, what they do and, and who they are as a program, but it is going to be a little different. I mean, you know, it's got to be different. It's a different quarter, different guy coaching quarterbacks. And, and so I, I think that's probably their, their biggest, um, I don't know if it's a weakness, but just, you know, probably their biggest change is just, just going to be trying to, you know, keep getting better at that and, um, and, and all those things. You know, I, I think the one thing that, that I noticed when I was in practice and, and everybody knows it, but man, those receivers are special. And I think that's, yeah. too, was a great player and had a big time of year. And I'm sure he'll have a big time of year again this year, but man, it sure helps to have those guys. I mean, those, those four guys are special and, you know, really all, all American type kids. And so to have that on one team, man, that's a, that's a big time deal. Um, I, I know around, around there that they talk them up like they're all good kids. And as far as they get along, you know, there, there's not a lot of egos there. So that, that obviously helps a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I think Paul's, Paul had a good spring ball from what I've gathered talking to coaches and, and, and being what I got to see. Um, it's just, you know, I mean, it's true freshman, you know, so there's going to be a lot of learning curves and, and, uh, but I know he's, 
he's enjoying it. I, I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. Um, you know, he's a big kid. I mean, he, he looks bigger already the other day when I saw him. You know, he's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, just, he's got such a big frame, six four, six five. But Paul has a big-time arm. I mean, he, he can make every single throw. And, uh, you know, it's just it's obviously the speed of the game is different. So, I mean, I think the more he – more repetitions he gets, the, be- the better he's going to get. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the benefits coming out of a program like yours is he was able to kind of see a lot of a lot of talent. Um, there's a lot of talent in your region with Hoover, Vestavia, and, you know, programs like that. So give us a name maybe in this year's recruiting class from your region that we may not know now uh, but could be a household name by signing day. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a – we definitely play some, play some good ones, you know. Um, you know, we played Thompson last year, and, and both of us had – had quite a few kids that, that that were that were pretty special. Um, you know, no Hoover has another quarterback this year. That's, I mean, the same guys last year, but he's a kid that's really good. Um, you know, Robbie. I mean, he's a guy that's a. I mean, I don't think he's an unknown. I think you know he, he's got several offers already. Right. Um, but but he's a really good <clears throat> he's a really good player. Um, you know, we, we've got some good guys coming up. Us and Thompson both have some really good players. Coming up, um, we've had some good battles with Thompson, even even in the younger grades. And we, I know both our both of our teams have, have some really good players coming up that are that are even you know going to be going to be sophomores, um, sophomores and juniors. Um, you know, we we have a quarterback here that I'm excited about. Um, you know, we, we have a couple guys that that compete for the jobs. Seth Shelnut, though, is a guy that's going to be a senior course next year. He's he's about six two, two ten, and going to be a really good player. Uh, he's a, he's a dual threat type kid. And, Started for us on defense last year, and that's something that uh, that I was really excited about because the guy, you know, throwing him in on Friday night, was maybe the first time he's played really quarterback in a while, but it's not going to be the first time he's been out there on Friday night. So, you know, maybe that's all the way back to my playing days. I appreciate that a little bit more, but I think just the fact that a guy's been been on the field and, and uh, you know, been in the heat of things, um, I, I think that goes a long way at this, uh, you know, at, at this level. So I remember you telling me a story back when we talked in the fall about Paul, um, you know, being in this spot where people are starstruck to meet him. Like there was one time at a spring game where these like these old ladies came up to him and they like kissed him on the head or something like that. Because, you know, it's not every day that you see somebody who has a blood relation to Bear Bryant. And I'm I'm interested if you have if you have any other story kind of like that where you're just watching Paul this, you know, watching a 17 year old kid, an 18 year old kid. Um, just have people so starstruck to meet him because of who he's related to. Are there any stories that kind of stand out when it comes to that? You know, I, I don't know if there's any tor- stories that can top that one. That was a pretty good one. You know, I mean, there, we had some ladies come up for a. I think it was for our. our uh, I don't. I think it was a. Uh, I think it was our August, like our preseason scrimmage, like our red kind of our red white scrimmage game that we did. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. We had a husky night, and and, and then they came in from. And drove up. I can't remember. They were from somewhere else in Alabama, and drove up just to, just to see him. And, and uh, I believe they had him sign, you know, some uh, some picture that had Coach Brian on there. Same thing. So <laughs> one of those things. So I mean, it's I don't know if there's any stories that, that can really top that with Paul. I mean, I, I know he's got a few um, along the way, but, but but I'll have just you know just random people that I've that I don't even know that well, or you know they'll send me a message on Twitter or something like that. Just that uh, you know that just random people that are like. You know they they have this they feel like they have this instant connection with with Paul just because of you know they're just you know they they've been Bama fans for you know 50 years and so um, it's been it's been a lot of fun you know and uh, I mean I, I think 
I can't wait to see what he does up there. I mean, it's gonna be gonna be fun. It's obviously a lot of you know a lot a lot of pressure and a lot of a lot of stuff. You know, but it's like that everywhere at every Division One school. So um, you know, I think he just and he just needs time to get used to the college game, and, and uh, I, I think he's gonna do a great job. You just gotta learn the the system, and then also what restraining orders are for. Just that's the best advice I could give them. Um, you're, you're probably so you <laughs> you obviously developed some sort of relationship with Coach Saban during his recruitment uh, of Paul. Can you give us some kind of insight or idea of what his recruiting pitch was like, or was it honestly just Pierce Quick ultimately responsible for getting Tyson down to Tuscaloosa? Yeah, I mean P- Pierce obviously did a good job. I mean, he he was. I think he was the first kid to come in in that class, and then uh, yeah, he was definitely the the, the ringleader um, there. And you know, and, and if anybody knows Pierce, knows he just kind of he just got one of those personalities, you know, where where he just you know he's gonna he'll talk to anybody, and just a sharp kid, you know, worked extremely hard, and, and you know they had they had nothing but great things to say about him the other day when when I watched them practice. I think he's come along. I know he's got a lot of he got a lot of reps with the second team offensive line, so he's he's doing a great job there. Um, but, but but I think you know. Coach Saban, I mean, you know, he just – he obviously does a a, a great job uh, with recruiting. I mean, I, I think those guys, obviously, um, you know, they they get to know whoever it is that they're actual recruiting, you know, their, their position coach, whatever their position coach, or whether it's, you know, the, whoever are, you know, the recruiter is for our area. Um, I, you know, the, the actual coach that talked to Paul a lot on the position side was when, was when Enos was there. Which I had a little bit of a relationship with Enos from the past, Dan Enos. So he's obviously not there anymore. But I think that that helps with with Paul. But I mean, obviously, I think Coach Saban, you know, he sells that, that those kids get in the NFL, um, and and I think he sells that they obviously they've been successful and won won, won a lot of games and won championships. But, but I think you know that they're able to sell that they've sent some kids to the NFL. Um, but but I think you know I think you know like anywhere you're gonna have to go in there, you're gonna have to compete and. And you're gonna to have to earn it. So, um, you know, they, they have two quarterbacks that signed in that class. So, um, that that doesn't always happen. You know, um, I mean, I think that's a little bit unique these days. Some, sometimes there's only one guy per class, and so, um, you know, but uh, you know, I, I think obviously those guys they, they they put a lot of people in the NFL, so that, that, that matters. Yeah, y'all got to. I mean, you alluded to this earlier. Y'all got to play against Thompson last year on the big ESPN two game, where Bama fans just had no idea who to pull for. I'm assuming. Um, with with uh, Thompson and Talia, but what so so and y'all have it, y'all have an incredible incredible facility which Connor and I as I think you know are both training for our own NFL Combine that we're going to compete against each other mm-hmm. at sometime soon. So we'll have to reach out to you when that happens. But what was the atmosphere like surrounding that game, and what what does something like that do for your program? It was it was a lot of fun that week. I mean, it was very very unique because um, they had done so many. There just had been so many interviews and, and stories and, and storylines throughout that thing, I and mean, I think it's such a such a unique situation that both those guys end up signing with Bama, um, just because there's so much family history. Obviously, Paul's is a lot more historical um, with the uh, you know with, just with the family and, and Coach Brian in the past, and then obviously with, with Talia, you've got the you know you just got you know, two ended up having such a big year last year that I think that probably helped escalate it even more just because, you know, that was the first time two had really been the man. And so, um, you know, uh, I've been the actual quarterback. And so I think the season he put together, I think that just, you know, that just amped it up just a little bit more. But it it was definitely a, a huge thing for our program. Um, you know, we were fortunate to play on ESPN a couple of times last year. 
and uh, you know we're we're trying to just take that next step as a program to bring home a championship. We, we it's been a fun we, the last three years we, we've had the highest winning percentage we've ever had in school history over a three year period, and so we've had a we've had a lot of fun, a lot of success. We're trying to trying to take that next step and bring home a championship. Um, you know the only problem with that game is we ended up on the wrong side, so uh, you know it ended up being a little bit better for. For, for for them, but uh, you know it's interesting. I think we gave up a lead. You know that's what's so disappointing. We, we were up and up late, and then ended up um, losing in the end. But it's been interesting ever since that. I've had so many people, coaches, and just random people throughout. You know, when I'm at coaching clinics, people come up and talk to me, and so many people watch that game. So many college coaches watch it. I can't think how many guys that said they were at their hotel that night and their whole team was watching the game. And uh, they say they don't even remember who won the game. You know, they're like, man, that was the greatest high school game I've ever seen. And, of course, I'm like, well, not really because we, we lost. But, uh, you know, but they're, they're like, I don't know who won the game. I, you know, so I don't know if they're saying you feel better or what. But, you know, it, it's been – there's a bunch of bunch of people that watched watched that game that night. So, you know, it's not just for us. I think for us and Thompson, I think it's just big for our high schools because we're both in similar situations. I mean, we, I think the last few years are – both of our programs have really um, stepped it up and, and, and become a top five program in, in the state of Alabama, and, and it's just great. Those guys do a great job over there. Coach Freeman's a great coach, and, and uh, I think we're, you know, it, it's not just good for us; it's good for the entire state of Alabama. I think there's great, great high school football here, man, and, and uh, I think I think Alabama gets credit. I, I don't even think they get as much credit as they should. But I think it's some great high school football, and I think it's you know it's as good as anywhere in the country. A lot of good so recruits good. there, Connor. <laughs> Josh, we've got one more question before we get to Family Feud. And, and I realize I've asked this question to you before, but I'm kind of thinking that maybe I should just ask it every six months or so because that's kind of where we're at with this whole thing with Paul and, and Talia. You know, now that they're both on campus, we both got to, we got to see them in the, both play in the spring game. If and when two elites for the NFL next year, it's Paul and Talia and, it, and it's Mac Jones in this, this quarterback battle. One, is the state of Alabama just going to blow up and if it doesn't blow up, and if civilization does exist beyond this quarterback battle, how good of a chance do you give Paul to become the guy? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 important in this state. So I mean, I think that's what's fun about about living here and about coaching here, and, and uh, you know, it's just it's an important thing here. So it, it doesn't matter what happens; everybody's going to be in an uproar about something. So um, that just happens to be the thing. You know, I, I I I have full confidence in Paul. I mean. The thing I love about Paul, I mean, again, physically, he's going to keep getting better. I mean, he's going to get bigger, stronger, faster, all those things. Um, he's got a great arm. Like I said, he, he can make every single throw. He can make the deep throws. He can make the throws underneath. I mean, I mean, one thing I've noticed just, just a little bit of practice that I saw, I mean, he's a guy that he's going to take what the defense gives him. Um, you know, it's not that he's never going to make a mistake, but, but, but he's good at, you know, he doesn't really force things. I mean, you know, in our, in our season, in two years, I think he threw it. I mean, he hardly threw any interceptions at all. I can't remember his exact touchdown ratio. I know he threw 69 touchdowns. I think he had, you know, nice. 11 or 12 interceptions in two years. So, I mean, you know, he's not going to throw it to their team very much. And so I think um, he's he's really smart. Um, you know, he's going to keep learning that, again, keep learning that system. Again, it's just, it's just listening to them talk. I mean, it's just such different terminology than what he's used to. So it's just totally different, you know. And so um, he's going to keep getting better. And better at that. Um, but again, I mean, you know, it, it's just how it is. It's tough at that level. I mean, and it's not like they're going to stop recruiting. I mean, they're, you know, they're going to go try to find the next best quarterback next year's class. So, I mean, I think that's what makes it tough at that level. I mean, they're going to try to get the best players every year. But, you know, I think that's where, you know, I think he'll just stick with it and stick with it. And I think he's going to get 
he's going to have every opportunity. And uh, like I said, I, I think he's he's really smart and he really understands the game. And I, and I think that's what's going to take him over the top. Um, so I think he just he just does a great job there. I do want to say before we get into Family Feud that like I've I've been on this podcast before saying. I, I like Paul a lot. I think he's a really good prospect. And I really like him physically, and I, I'm very excited as a Bama fan for him to to play quarterback at Alabama because I, I do think he has a, a very good shot at being the starter for for a while. But I also will say <laughs> I'm already nervous for that argument from Bama fans. Like you said, they, there's there's always going to be something in the state of Alabama, so that should be should be pretty interesting. But um, let's get into Family Feud here. You know how this works. You you've listened to the program before. You are you uh, you're a veteran of this. I don't know if I'm a veteran, but I, I have listened to it, so yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll call you a veteran of this. We have ten questions. We will put two minutes on the clock that we're just <clears throat> totally going to disregard. You give us some rapid-fire answers. Are you ready to play Family Feud, Coach Floyd? I'm ready. All right, first question. Best restaurant or brewery that me and Connor have to visit in Birmingham for media days? <laughs> oh, man. Best restaurant. I just like Taco Mama's. That's probably the best restaurant around here. Taco Mama's. I like, okay, that's fair. That's fair. I like that. I was going to say Jack's. Get him a bologna biscuit. He's never had a bologna biscuit, so I'm going to throw that out there for you, Connor. Uh, right, up next, favorite you. Disney movie of all time? Oh, man. Um, Lion King. That's a good one. I like Lion King. Yeah. Very <laughs> good answer. Okay, that checks out. Uh, favorite band for Coach Floyd? Man, you know, I, I like a lot of music, really. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a favorite band. I, I just like a lot of different music. Coach, it's not how the game works. you got to give me your favorite song, at least right now. <laughs> Old Town Road right now is the best song out there. <laughs> there we go. Here it is. There it is. Coach Floyd's got the horses in the back. I love it. Um, okay, this is a very important question. I don't know how this isn't broken the internet yet. Better gum chewer, Tiger, Phil, or Gus? <laughs> I would definitely say Gus. He, he gets after it pretty good. I've, I've never seen Tiger till yesterday do that so much. So Same. I would say They're Gus. They're just catching on, on Gus, Gus's bandwagon there. Gus chews the dog crap out of that gum. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, you know this is coming. If you were an office character, who would you be? An office character? Oh, like from my. the show The Office. Oh, boy. I, I, yeah, I, I, I know The Office. I don't, I don't know if I'm any of those guys. Um, I don't. I can't answer, answer that. Man. I'm sorry. I, I really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Show. I appreciate the honesty. Then that's good. That's good. Uh, okay. Better vacation spot: Lake of the Ozarks or Gulf Shores? Gulf Shores. Oh, you said it was some, some some pain behind those eyes. Um, Definitely. Okay. Better high school football show: Two a Days or Friday Night Lights? Wow. Man, probably. Uh... Probably Friday Night Lights. I would agree. I feel like That's I'm cool. Tim Riggins, like minus the athletic part of it. I, it just, so I like that. It's a good answer. Um, Connor, you say that's bold. Yeah, well, <laughs> bold to say in the state of Alabama to say that two that days is, is the best high school football show of all time. But I respect the decision yeah. because I can tell you thought about that and you had like that little crossroads in your mind. But you're like Friday Night Lights <laughs> is the best. Old Town Road yeah. Crossroads. Say it right. <laughs> okay, we got three questions left. If you could have another quarterback that's the great-grandson of a coaching legend, who would it be? A coaching legend. Great-grandson. Uh, has well, to be those two I, things. <laughs> I would say Pete Carroll. I'm a big Pete Carroll fan, so his great-grandson. Oh, okay. I like be. that. He's getting there, too. Like, Pete Carroll is sneaky old. He could have a great-grandson very, very soon. <laughs> Connor, that's a hot take. He's <laughs> like 68. 
Is he really? Yeah, he's old. I'm telling you. Is he moisturized? He looks great for 68. We're off topic. We got to get back to it. We got two questions left. All right. Favorite color. I know you can't say who your favorite team is, so let's just, you know, beat around the bush again. Favorite color, crimson or orange? I have to choose between those two orange colors. You could do white or navy blue as well. I, can I just say red? Like our, our, our Huskies are red, man. We're Hewitt Trustful Huskies, and we're I'll say that. Yeah. We're red. Right, so and that is, yeah, yeah it, it. it's cardinal. It's yeah. not crimson. It's cardinal. So. Cardinal I like that. Red. I like that. And your last question, last but not least, favorite SDS podcast host since you listen to the show, Connor. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I mean, Connor's got a slight lead. Just got to talk to him a few more times. So. There we That's go. Fair. Fair. You're on the, on the board, Connor. That was I'm good. Let me add the these up. Let me <laughs> add up these points. You got the same amount of points as uh, career touchdown passes from your old quarterback. 69 points, Coach. That's wow. good. That's a good score. Wow. That's you know that should actually go right on the res right at the same spot as the resume as the the total yards stat that that blows me away by the way like yeah. I, yeah. I seriously can't get over that you almost had six thousand yards in a season not to flatter you too much but like that's that's pretty impressive you should put your family feud score right next to that is basically what I'm saying I appreciate yeah, it. I'll, I'll do that it, I, I think the older I get the more I appreciate all those numbers we had but you know back then people couldn't really defend the offense at all Coach Malzahn I mean people. It's like they'd never seen no huddle before, so I, I don't I don't want anybody to think I was that good because it, it helped that uh, defenses didn't know what they were doing. So, coach, just take the compliment. You had a great year. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, it was fun. Josh, was we fun. we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm sure, like I said, I think we're gonna have to do an annual or like an every six months type thing where we're asking you updates about Paul and asking you updates about Gus and and all things related to that. But really appreciate you coming on. Wish you the best of luck in your in your football season. Enjoy the summer, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Definitely appreciate you guys having me on, man. Always enjoy listening. So thanks. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate Josh coming on. Something a little bit different. We've never—I don't think we've ever talked to a high school coach on this podcast, have we? I'm not allowed within uh, 500 yards of a high school. You know that. You and restraining orders, man. It's uh, it's it's special. We're Let's get to fourth and wrong. Let's get to fourth and wrong. Okay. Wow. Like we always do, quote unquote. Four questions for fourth and wrong that we just realized we should have been doing all along last week. Mm-hmm. So we have four questions here. Um, from social media. You guys sent some good ones in. Let's get started. Uh, up first, Andy Goins, who I believe is now a part of our five-time club, like we oh. do for, for guests. He is now a part of that. He gets a robe um, and an awkward shoulder side hug, I guess. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. uh, he has another question that we picked out. It says, of the hosts, who could last longer on a pogo stick? Based on me asking you the question, what is your experience on a pogo stick and finding out that you tried to break the Guinness Book of World Records for most time spent on a pogo stick, I'm going to say you. I'm not going to lie. I was a pretty good pogo sticker. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's how you say it. Okay, so I when I got a pogo stick when I was little, those things are obnoxiously loud and annoying, first off. So to the tip worst. of the cap to Patty Sue for letting me have one of those. Um, I remember getting it. And I was like, I'm going to go jump on this thing for like, 45 minutes, I'm going to set up a Guinness Book of World Records because I need attention, even when I was little. And so I go out there, and I like come back in, and I'm out of breath for some reason, even though the Pogo Six doing all the work. And um, I looked up the Guinness Book of World Records, and it was that's like when you had to have the book. You can't Google it. Oh, everybody had those books yeah. back in the day, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. And yeah. it was like, at the time, it was like 16 hours, and I was like, what? When do I get a Capri Sun? How do I do that? Dude, the world record right now is 20 hours and 13 minutes. 
Might mean too much. That, I mean, whew, that's there's a lot of dumb records. That's that's. I think I don't I don't think I could beat that now. You might be better at it now. There's also he did it at Pogo Palooza Eight in Costa Mesa, California. There's a festival where people just bring their pogo sticks and just pogo. It's like a nerd Coachella, I guess. I don't know. It sounds awful. All right, yeah. teach their own. Um, no, it's not teach their own. Let's make fun of that guy. Uh, up next, second question. What's the most dangerous? Like, you know, what? I want to say this from for last. So I'm excited about this one. Third, uh, second question. This is from our good friend Dakota, who got really mad about my uh, take on us not landing on the moon. He got really upset about that. Yeah, um, you guys were in, engulfed in quite the back and forth. Engulfed <laughs> is the best way to say it because it was like a big old flame. Yeah, that's fine. Um, who would you rather get punched in the face by, Eric Anders or Herschel Walker? No disrespect to Eric Anders, who would probably punch me in the face very, very hard. Yeah. Um, the former Bama walk-on, uh, UFC, uh, MMA specialist. What, what would you call somebody at, the, at this point in his, his life? Is he an he, MMA specialist? That's he, the wrong, wrong way to phrase it. MMA fighter. Professional MMA fighter. <laughs> I was looking for some way to say he specializes in that kind of training. Uh-oh. Because what I'm about to say about Herschel is Herschel does it like part time, so he could probably you know give you a good punch in the face. But I'd rather get punched in the face by Herschel just to say, like we talked about last week, I could say I got punched in the face yeah. by Herschel Walker. That would be cooler. And they'd be like, "Why did you call him fat when he was 11?" And you're like, "No, I'm 28 years old. I did not do that." I might have done that. <laughs> so I think I I think I would take Herschel too because there's <sighs> Herschel's older now, man. And you're right. Like and and he hasn't done martial. He hasn't done MMA since like. What five years ago? He looked ridiculous when he did it too. He was like in great. He could shape. probably still do it to this day, Let's without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt, he still does like a thousand push-ups a day. I haven't done a thousand push-ups in the last three years combined. Um, next question. This is from Real Joseph Bender, who I think is also a repeat questionnaire. Um, did I say that? Probably not. What season of The Office is Andy the best? He said season eight. I agree with you. Not fake, Joseph Bender. Nice. I think season eight is the best. And I was having this discussion actually like two days ago watching the episode, uh, the lotto episode where yeah. the warehouse wins wins the lottery and Daryl is all depressed and sad that he didn't get to win the lottery and that he is stuck in this job, that he feels like it's his dead-end job. And Andy got the, the, you know, the regional manager job ahead of him. And Andy like gets in his face and finally is just like, dude, you know what? Like suck it up, like get over this because you being depressed is kind of the worst. And I said to I said to my wife right after I'm like this is the best version of Andy I've been waiting for the best version yeah. of Andy for so long and this I think this is actually it so I would go season eight because that's real, like when he takes over his boss and he gets the tattoo stuff uh, where he loses the the bet or the incentivized thing whatever that was he's actually pretty likable and even Jim has a moment where he says you know what like you don't have to try so hard we we like you don't worry about it and I, I was kind of in agreement and then he you know in season nine like when he went off and went off on the boat while he was filming Hangover 3, and everybody just hated Andy, and he was the worst. Season 9 was the worst. And he started out so strong at the beginning part of that, when he, like, took him to Dunderbuff one, or to took DM does Gettysburg, whatever it was. Oh, that was a good candidate for bottom four. I thought that episode yeah. was terrible. Really? Yeah, I hated that episode. The Pink Hats? Nah. Eh, well, anyway, the Pink Hats were awful. Um, I would say season five, because I'm pretty sure his engagement was over at this point to Angela because like season three he's the worst and when you bring up the thing about Daryl I think the reason why he was great in season eight is because he uh he it's not often that Andy says something that we're all thinking 
Usually he says something that's like, how does anyone outside of a Vineyard Vines logo say something like that? That's terrible. Um, he, I thought he was great in, in season six, I think it was. Season six, not season five. Season six, because he does like the split thing. He's kind of flirting with Aaron and wants that to work out. And he's like kind of endearing in that way. But for the most part, he's not like totally awful yet. I didn't like him in season eight as much because he was dating what's her name instead of just dating Aaron. Oh, and good point. And I forgot at the end of season eight, he has that whole like collapse where he stages the thing where he's like the janitor and then that leads oh into the God. finale. Okay, you're right. Season eight might not be the best, but in the beginning of season eight, I think it is. But season six probably is better. Yeah. Will, make sure you get that, uh, chop that up so we can we can get that. That's good. Judging by the Nardog curve, I'd say I'd say that you uh, you nailed it. We, I think I spent we spent more more time explaining that than almost anything today. Um, your last question. This is my favorite. This is from Sarthak Sharma on Twitter. I'm sorry if I said your name wrong. Um, at least I didn't say you're the woman on the field. But the question is, what's the most dangerous animal that you think you could beat one on one with no weapons? And he followed that up by saying, I think I could beat up a raccoon. Man, I am so the wrong person for this question. What the um, hell, bro? You gotta answer what I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm still gonna find a way to answer it, but I'm not gonna beat up a raccoon because they're terrifying, especially when I wake up on Sunday morning, open my door, and there's one sleeping on my welcome mat. That's the last thing that crossed my mind is, oh, I could beat up this animal. No, it's not. It's I'm gonna get as far away from this animal as possible sure. and hope that my wife can scare it away because I'm terrible with that. Okay. I need to, I need to just go take a walk after what I just said. I, it lost me some points. I am I'm terrified of wild animals, and I say that because they're wild, and if most of you know, if, if you've been listening to us, anything that I can't like talk my way out of, I don't really want a part of. And with wild animals, you can't do that because they're wild animals. I had an ex take me to a like a like safari thing one time for my birthday. It was awful. I ended up in the back seat by myself, scared to death because, you, I mean, they're wild animals. Now, what I will say is this. If you think that I haven't ever been drunk enough to t- fight an animal, I mean, that's also wrong. Um, cats. I don't like cats. I didn't. I haven't fought a cat, but I'm just cat saying. It's not a dangerous It says, what's animal? the scariest, most dangerous animal you can fight? That's my peak. That's my ceiling is a cat. Oh and I don't care how that sounds. I haven't fought a cat yet, so don't get upset with me. I'm just saying, I cats are, I've said it before, they're like snakes with tails and legs. They're up to no good. Always. Always up to no good. And, and cats, if you think a cat wouldn't put up a good fight, they'd want to fight you. Cats are awful. What about a fox? I feel like a Hell fox no. is a fox is the bully at the schoolyard though that only picks on people that are way way smaller than it. So you're strictly talking about Zootopia. Eh, maybe a little bit. It's a great movie. Foxes are they they, they pick on like the rabbits and animals that are just like so so small yeah. that I think that if I actually presented a big front and you know did the whole arms wide thing that you're supposed to do when you see bears, I think I could really make a lasting impact on a fox. And I'm not saying I'd get close enough to beat it up, but maybe I could at least like intimidate it. Maybe and that's so it runs away. That. Yeah, that's, yeah that's kind of a way of beating it up. I tell you what what would Alpha? I would rather fight a bear than a goose. And I don't care how that sounds. Geese that's are fire take. effing terrifying. They are terrifying. Have you ever been around a geese when they're like <sighs> have you ever been on a golf course and seen geese? Then they're like oh, yeah. protecting their shield their their little what are they called? Gooselings? Geeselings? Goslings? Ryan Goslings? Got geese up right, like probably like fifty feet away from me right now. I'll tell you what, here's what you should do. If you guys ever want to see how terrifying goose is, if you think I'm dumb for saying this, and we'll close the close the show on this. If you think that I'm overreacting right now, go out to a golf course, have about between five to eleven Bud Lights, and go up to a goose and make the <laughs> noise and see what happens. 
That's all I'm gonna say. I'd rather fight a goose. I'd, I'd rather fight a bear than a goose. That's a horrible take. I'm just it's gonna not, throw that out there. It's not. Bear Bryant got his name by wrestling a bear. You know what? You've never heard of a coach who won over 300 games named Bear Goose Bryant. All right, Here end at the show. It might mean too much. We alluded to it earlier. We almost had it might mean too much spoiled, but we saved it for the very end. Good move. Dan Mullen's troll job with the attendance number was even more impressive than I could have imagined. We talked about this, about what he was going to potentially do to troll a rival. And we knew that, you know, he threw out the, the idea of trolling Florida State because, you know, with the with like the 41, 14, whatever it was. And he ends up, as we found out from Reddit user Cam White underscore guy. Wonder what he's trying to say about that. This was a troll job of epic proportions. So the announced attendance at Florida Spring Game was 39,476. So as we found out from Cam White underscore guy, it has been 39 years since UGA won a title. In that stretch, <laughs> UGA has played 476 games. Therefore, 39,476 is the most appropriate spring game attendance Dan Mullen is getting into some Spurrier level type swag. I think I've said that before, but man, that is quite the statement to make for a team that you didn't beat. I'm just gonna throw that out by there. By a as lot well. of points, didn't beat them by a lot. <laughs> Georgia attendance probably should have just been what you know, thirty six thousand one hundred seventy. That would have been it. They're gonna have way more than that. First off, but yes, you're right. You're right. I, I just like I'm glad you said it, and I don't want to like dunk on or crap on Florida fans at all, because I think I'm excited for what Mullen's doing. I think it's funny. But why didn't he just it. say the Florida State thing? Just say already, Florida State. He already, he no, he already gave that away. He said he wanted to be a little surprise. That should have been the surprise. <laughs> like, that, like you beat you beat a rival by, quick math, how much is it? 27 points. Like, that, you beat a rival by that many points. Not when you lose to a rival and get your ass handed to you for the, like, I know it's only the first year, but, the, you know. Spurrier was good at it because he beat those teams all the time. That's true. He sent Tennessee to the Citrus Bowl. He's trying to get to that point, though, where he can just poke and poke and poke and every blind squirrel finds a nut type thing. And a lot of people came to his defense after that. It's like, oh, he's not throwing shade at Georgia. (laughs) Give me a break. He announced it. He's like, y'all figure it out. I'll tell you. (laughs) It is is fun. It's funny and it's it's, it's great. But Georgia fans, you know what I was really surprised about Um, was Georgia fans and then Florida fans Kind of overreacting to it on social media. That's that was nuts. I didn't see that coming. And then Tennessee fans getting involved. Tennessee fans got involved. Oh, I don't I know if that, that happened, but I did see yesterday when I posted the thing about Zamir White, and I was like, describe this with a GIF, and I was like, this will be fun and engaging. You know, no. I don't know why I ever thought those <laughs> words would be involved on social media. Ended up just being some Tennessee fan posting a GIF of somebody hurting their knee, and I was like, wow, guys Yikes. are the worst in all sports. Wow. This is gonna be a long season. That's Stay brutal. blessed, everybody. What would Mark Stoops do to troll South Carolina? Put your knee in this bank. And <laughs> so on it. And yeah. on it. All right, we've got you've got Facebook Live coming up tomorrow night. on tomorrow night. Tomorrow, Wednesday. which is tonight, so that's Wednesday. Yeah, Allie's out of town, so we had date night last night. Me and Queso tomorrow night. Facebook. Queso's fired up. He was telling me about it. He was texting me. <laughs> nice. Um, no, definitely gonna definitely gonna want to watch that um, next week. All full play by play of my first softball game. I'm sure everybody's very excited to hear about the results of that. Not so much. 
Uh, follow us on Instagram at Saturday Down South. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at C Marler SDS at CJ O'Gara. Send Ooh. your burgers back if they are raw. I will say that. Yes. Can I say one more thing? No one's listening. And the music's still playing. I'm sure right now. Thanks a lot, Will. Guys, do me a favor and and give a shout out to Pastor Patty Supai this Sunday. Yes. This is her Super Bowl. If you're not yep. following her on Twitter, follow one of her accounts. She's got a burner account with a terrible name. It's just the same name plus the number one. Um, but give her a shout out. Easter. I follow both accounts. I appreciate that. Me too. Yeah. Um, Easter is Sunday. I hope all of you, we're not going to get into most of that, but I just hope you guys have a great Sunday. Enjoy yourself. Put on some pastel. But give my mom a shout out. It is her Super Bowl. She's the best. Love you, Patty Sue. Have a great Easter. Follow Patty Sue. Give us a five-star review. If you haven't given us a five-star review yet, you're way overdue. You should definitely do that. Great. Subscribe, review, all of that stuff. Until next week. Coach Joe, you, you in the house? Eerie. You're written in D. That was Patty. Sorry, I had to. We'll end on that. Talk to you next week.